Round two. Guys, put your hands together. Come on. God's mission, it's worth being excited about. I know that we've got a lot of introverts here. We've got a lot of engineers here. We've got a lot of people who, who don't like to necessarily get out of their comfort zone and clap and get excited. God loves you. But you know what? Sometimes we, we need to just break out, don't we? Sometimes we just need to, we need to get out of what's comfortable for a second. And introverts, sometimes that means, or extroverts, you gotta, it means you've got to reel it in a little bit too, right? But God's mission is worth being amped for. And I realize that can look a little bit different. But when we talk about planting churches and we talk about engaging the next generation, when we talk about reaching college students and youth and young families or families at large, that's worth being excited about. We need that in our generation, do we not? Something actually worth being excited for. I'm excited about it. I'm happy to be partnering with you to see God's mission advanced right here in Kennesaw, Georgia. Guys, we're starting a brand new series today. I like to scoot it a little bit closer. What's your hurry? What's your hurry? Question mark. Now, we just mentioned the fact that it's, it is now officially November, if you can believe it. 2019 is, is on the hunt for us. And that means that we are heading into holiday season, and it, that means that you're going to be spending more time on Amazon than you ever spent the previous 10 months of the year. You know this is true. This is where you do the vast majority of Christmas shopping. This is where you're even, even preparing for Thanksgiving, and if you have people over to your house and, you know, you're kind of trying to, you know, make it look all cute and, and, and set up for whatever it is that you got going on, you're looking for things to buy and, and make it look all nice and cute and pretty, well, you do it on Amazon. Or, I mean, maybe you go to a brick-and-mortar store. But you know how this goes? I love the holidays. I love, I love the movies. I love the time together. But you know what I do not enjoy? It's I don't enjoy how crazy it can all feel. I also don't actually enjoy, despite getting into the, you know, the, the, the Hallmark movie stretch, I, I don't enjoy the commercialization of all of it either. Because sometimes in the craze of black market, or Black Friday and, and sales and, and the black market that Annie clearly does his Christmas shopping on. Wow things. Last week, I talked about Al Capone. This week, it's the black market. I mean, there's some stuff going on up in here. There's just a lot, is there not? Now, in my house growing up, what I, what I love and cherished about Thanksgiving was, you know, we, we had the dining room, and then you had, there was what we call the kitchen table. Now, maybe you grew up in a house like mine, but, but the table in the dining room and the kitchen table were not the same. And you, eventually you got promoted to the dining room, but there was the kid table. You know what I'm talking about? Where all the kids and the cousins would sit, you, you would sit at the kitchen table, and the adults would rock it in the dining room, right? And then everybody would eat, and then the food would be left out on the counter. Some of you are, are bothered by this, but they'd be left out so that you could eat it later on just during the day. It just was kind of sitting there. Oh, it was glorious. But you know what was really amazing was there was nothing to do. There was no place to go. There was no store that was open. You literally just were in a house 
You'd go outside, you'd throw a football, you'd throw a baseball, you'd sit in the family room, you'd maybe watch a football game together, maybe get out some board games or a puzzle, and you would just spend time together. And two or three generations ago, they would probably look at that and think, my gosh, you're doing so much, right? But for us now, the the world that we live in, it is moving at such a pace and such a clip. There was no phone for me to look at back in the day. If I wanted to play a video game, I, I, I mean, you had to go to an actual location and sit somewhere, right? All these things that now everything exists in the palm of your hand. And you know what can happen is life can feel very rushed. It can feel very hurried because, after all, when everything exists in your hand, Everything now can beckon to you in 0.1 second. Ministry needs, church needs, family needs, work needs, shopping needs, apps that are going off, apps that are telling you how much time you spend on your phone. You're on your phone feeling sh ashamed about being on your phone. I mean, there's, there's, there, there's so many things happening, and it's very easy to live a life that's just hurried. Not just busy, but a hurried life. In this past year, God has ministered to me greatly in this area. I found myself tense, and I found myself a little bit stressed. I wanted everything to grow faster than it was growing. I wanted potty training to happen faster than it was happening for some of my kids. I wanted, I wanted to see growth happening in the church faster. I wanted to see finances grow this way, and I wanted to see all, all of these things. I wanted faster, 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 faster. And I found myself just perpetually living a life that just felt hurried. And so slowing down became actually very difficult for me. And so this message, what's your hurry, you need to know is not coming out of a place of, I know. I'm going to come down from the mountain and bestow this knowledge upon you. This is actually something that I am, even now as I'm preaching to you, I'm working through this to really try to cultivate this in my own life. Does that make sense this morning? We're going to pray, and then we're going to get into this series, and we're going to begin a quest over the month of November to truly experience God's rest in our lives. What does it really mean to be at rest with him and at peace in our soul? I would go out on a limb that the heading into November and heading into December, that you would find yourself healthier and happier in your soul if you prioritize getting great rest with God. That's what I'm betting, and that's what we're going to go for. Father, be with us. Even as we take the next few weeks and we talk through, uh, Lord, this, 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 this thing, God, that, that God seems ever elusive to us, Lord, would you help us to truly be anchored to you and your presence and find rest. It's in your name that we pray, amen. This thing is a challenge at times. It's kind of kind of got that little, if you're listening online, I have a podium and it never seems to be balanced and we don't know why. It's like,
just will not be balanced. It's got that little, little, little tilt to it. Sorry. When God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says, the scriptures tell us that he breathed the stars into existence. It says that he created the water and he created the, the expanse. He created night. He created the sun. He created plants. He created creatures that were swimming in the water. He, he created creatures that were walking on land. He created man. He created all these things. And he said it was good. He saw man and, he, and he, he did recognize that, you know what, it's not good for man to be alone. But by and large, creation was pretty amazing. And then the scriptures tell us that we get to the seventh day. There were six days that God spent creating the heavens and the earth. And then we get to the seventh day. And you know what the Bible tells us that God did? It says that he absolutely stressed out about what he had just made. He was freaking out about it. How am I going to keep this in order? How am I going to keep this world spinning? It says he was biting his fingernails, pulling some of his hair out. He was stressing, anxious, wasn't he? No, he wasn't any of that. He didn't have to find coping mechanisms. And, and, and hear me, church. Last time I checked, the challenge of creating the entire world is a pretty large task. Then the task of keeping that world operating, as in like planetary orbits, gravity, that's a big deal. And yet, God holds it all together. And on the seventh day, God wasn't stressing, he wasn't freaking out. And he wasn't figuring out how on earth he was going to get more time to get the job done. It says that he rested. Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2. The scriptures tell us this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God actually took a day and rested. Now I realize this is going to come, this is, this is going to feel to some of us like a kick in the jaw because even as I begin to describe this this culture, it can feel impossible, especially to a Western set of ears. But God wasn't figuratively sending emails on his day of rest. He wasn't running around at a breakneck pace, dropping kids off at 14 birthday parties and a bounce house here and this and there. He, he was resting. Now, hear me because I realize that all of a sudden the, 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 the things start coming up. But hold up, hold up, right? I realize there's absolutely nothing inherently wrong with having activities on a day off. But can we just agree that we are a culture that doesn't have any sense of moderation when it comes to activity? or things that we're trying to do, or our children and what they're engaged in. 
Let's just call it like it is. It's madness. And I understand this as well as anybody. But what did God do? He rested on the seventh day, and he calls that day holy. Meaning that day is set apart. The word holy means to be set apart. It's not to be like every single other day that you have. It's not supposed to be. You're supposed to have time with God and time with his presence. So this is what God says, and this is in Genesis chapter 2. And then we get to Exodus. So next book in the Bible. And instead of just, you know, this, this, this reading about creation in Genesis chapter 1, now we're getting to this moment where Israel has, has sinned and, and they've, been, they've been imprisoned by sin, by Pharaoh, and they, they've been slaves in Egypt, and they finally have experienced their freedom. And they have left Egypt and they're heading to the promised land. If you maybe are familiar with the scriptures, if not, just buckle up with me for a minute. We have God's people who have been oppressed by the enemy. They have finally, after decades and decades and hundreds and hundreds of years, been released from slavery and are walking to a land that God says they are going to possess called the promised land. And as they are waiting at one of their many stops, Moses heads up the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments, which was God's law for his people. We'll just read a couple of these because, well, after all, it is the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, etched in stone. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. You shall not covet. I skipped one. Because oftentimes we don't think about it as being this big deal. Yet, God has ten things that he is telling the Israelites to do that will set them apart as his beloved treasure, his people. And what does he remind them to do and create a law for them to do in addition to not murdering and not committing adultery and not lying and not stealing? He says, keep the Sabbath holy. Of all the things that God could tell his people, this is seriously what you're going to take the time to do? Of all the room that you've got on that tablet of stone, you're going to take time and give dedicated space to this commandment of of honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. In other words, this day of rest is essential and it is so important, not only for your health, but that you would be recognized and set apart as my people. 
Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, what I am not doing this morning is taking the law and somehow putting you as a people under that law when you are not under the law anymore you are under a different covenant the bible says that when jesus came and died for you and i he did what you and i could not do that means that even the law of fulfilling the sabbath you and i were not able to do it we couldn't not work on a day that god had said set apart and be holy we couldn't keep it Meaning, in 2018, you just, you had to check that email. You had to go do that thing and accomplish that thing or, or feel like you were getting something done. You had to. But Jesus, not only did he fulfill the Sabbath commandment, he fulfilled every single commandment. And he did what you and I could not do. He lived an absolutely, utterly perfect life. And then he offers his utterly perfect life, that righteousness to you and I, not by those who would somehow earn it or do it, but simply by faith and grace. By faith, I hitched my wagon to Jesus and what he did for me. He did what I couldn't do. Those are the facts. But just because Jesus did what I could not do doesn't mean that these commandments no longer have any life or bearing or implication on my life. Last time I checked, not murdering is still a good idea to follow. Not committing adultery is a good idea to follow. Having one God, honor the Lord your God. I believe that's still a pretty good commandment. Not stealing, not lying. Yet the only one we look at and we say, Psh, no biggie is somehow having a day of rest and setting it apart unto the Lord. And we find ourselves crazy. We find ourselves pulling our hair out. We find ourselves unable to spend time with God. And the second we finally have a minute to do so, what do we do? We fall asleep on the couch because we're so ragged and exhausted. And surprise... God actually has a commandment for us to help us stay, number one, in his presence, but number two, healthy. You want to make sure that your relationships, not only with God, are healthy, follow the commandments. In grace, without feeling shame or weight on you, I promise you, when we begin to get back to just simple obedience, we're going to see it pay off in our lives. So understand this. One of the most valuable truths to uphold for the sake of relationship with God 
and testimony to the world is rest. It's hard. I don't like that. One of the greatest things that you and I can do in a world that's just traveling at such a breakneck speed is actually show that you and I are not run by the affairs of the world, but that we are run by something altogether different. God, the King of heaven and earth, He is who sits on the throne of my life and my heart. And because I trust Him, I can actually take a step back, take a deep breath, and everything's going to be okay. It's actually okay for your children to not be involved in two and three and four sports. They're going to be okay. But because the world tells you that they have to be, you're depriving them if you don't. We overcommit, do we not? Well, what, what, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be passed by by everybody else. I have great news for you this morning. There are so many amazing, successful people who never played a sport in their life. And guess what? It's also okay to be involved and engaged in a sport. But I think we also know what it can feel like when you're running from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and you just can't breathe. The number one conversation for counselors, for middle school students and high school students in America is not what you might think. It's stress and anxiety over overcommitments. That's the number one conversation with a counselor. I'm so stressed out, and I don't know how to talk to mom and dad about it. Isn't that amazing? What if your life was such a testament to the world that you lived by something else, that you followed another master, a master that wasn't the world and it wasn't the world's agenda, your master who has health for you, who has life and life more abundantly for you, he has a different set of things that you and I live by. Does he not? Now, that, 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 that we ultimately, we live by grace. But that doesn't mean that the truth of Scripture isn't something that we don't aspire to live by. We read a book as a staff called Soul Keeping this past year. In fact, I'll encourage anybody, if you, if you enjoy reading, this book challenged me so much. And I didn't, I didn't like the way it challenged me. And I'll share one of the stories in it. John Ortberg is the author. He's a, he's a fairly famous pastor in America. And he was calling, you know, one of his mentors. This guy's name is Dallas Willard. And, you know, when I think of Dallas Willard, I kind of think of this Gandalf-esque person, you know, who's older and has this beard and just dispenses wisdom, right? Uh, it's probably not what he looks like at all. I have no idea what he looks like. But John Orberg called him and just began to explain the pace of life that he was living as a pastor. And he looked at, over the phone, he talks to Dallas, and he says, Dallas, what do I need to do to grow? He's talking about kids. He's talking about, he's talking about activities. He's talking about all the engagements at school. He's talking about pastoral needs. He's talking about preaching. He's talking about missions. He's talking about all these things. But in all of this, I don't feel like I'm actually growing. So what do I need to do to grow, Dallas? And he describes it in the book. He says that there was just a lot of silence. Long pause. Are you there? <laughs> and Dallas says to him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. 
And John said, great. He wrote it down. And he said, okay, good. What else? That is great advice. What, what's next? Like, let's keep, the, let's keep the train going. He says, long pause. He says, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Let me just back this up for a minute. Because for us, this actually requires great faith. Because in the culture that we live in, it feels and looks and sounds impossible to do. And maybe it isn't reality for our culture to have this dedicated day, right, where you have a 24-hour period where you don't do anything. I mean, you can become religious about it. You can become obnoxious about it. And you cannot live under grace about it. And the Pharisees were known for, like, literally counting how many steps you took during the day. 634. Oh, you've now worked sin. Right? That's not what we're talking about here. Maybe you don't have a day that you can completely just give to soaking in God's presence or reading your Bible or praying or going to the temple. Maybe you don't have that, but I promise you, you have lots of moments during the day. Longer moments than you might realize that you don't have to cram full of rushing to this and rushing to that, a game on your phone, a texting thing here, checking your email, looking at online sales. You don't have to do that. You don't have to watch the next show. You can actually sit on your couch, pour a cup of coffee, and do nothing. And sit. And take a deep breath. And just thank God for who he is. There's a story that we've been, I've been talking to people about that happened in Indiana. It's just a tragedy that took place, I think, this past week. I can't recall where, you know, a young person that was driving a car didn't stop at the bus stop as kids were getting on this bus or getting off the bus. And you know how the, you know, the, the, the bus has the little stop sign that folds out. Well, somehow they miss it and they weren't paying attention. And they ended up hitting th- four kids, but three Two were brothers and a sister, and three of the family all died right there on the scene. And I couldn't help but get emotional reading the account of this story. The amount of lives that have just been torn asunder and ruined. My first thought was, how could you do that? And then I read another article that was posted that reminded me, how, how is it this isn't happening more? In other words, am I really that different from that person that was driving that car? Could it not have happened to me? Am I not the person that's constantly rushing out the door to the meeting, rushing this, giving myself no margin, just rushing and hurrying and rushing and hurrying and rushing and hurrying? That could have been me, just as easily as it could have been you. Trying to get to your next thing. I know myself. I know what it's like. Put on your shoes for the love of God. Let's get out the door. And you're pulling your hair out with kids and you're just thinking to yourself, God. (gasps) Right? Hurry. 
and you, you know, you're just, it's like herding cats to get out the door and in the car and buckled. And, you know, you thought you were giving yourself more time, but the reality is you weren't. And then you're rushing the kids to make up for it. You finally get them in the car and then you, you're, you're down the road and you're just trying to make up for it. It's a yellow light, right? I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to make it through the light. And away you go. We know this well because our van was just totaled. Amy was sitting at a traffic light. Every airbag deployed on the left side of the car was totaled. Three of the kids in the car. She was hit by not one vehicle, but two. And the reason for it was a yellow light that someone was trying to rush through rather than slow down. It's a hard message. One of the most valuable truths to uphold for the sake of relationship with God and testimony to the world is rest. God wanted his people to be set apart. He wanted them to be holy. And one of the ways he set them apart and designed them to be holy was that they would not be rushing and hurried in their soul, but that they would be able to actually be at rest and at peace. And the testimony of that to a world doing the exact opposite would speak so many volumes. For most of us, our great danger, your, your danger this morning is like mine. It's not, it's not that you're going to grow into this place in your life where your soul is so dark and there's such a black hole of pain and misery that you reject Jesus and you choose not to believe him. The real danger for you and I living in the world that we live in is that we're so busy and that we're so hurried that we actually lose the sense of having a true relationship with Jesus. We understand him as a savior who has positionally saved our heart and our soul, but we don't actually know him as friend. We do not have relationship with him. That is our greatest danger. And so we are a, a people, a generation who speaks about God, but doesn't actually have the relationship to back it up. I've done that. Mark 6, 30 through 31, we aren't the only ones, might I add. Listen to this, see if it doesn't sound familiar. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I don't read this and think, wow, what just, this is amazing. What biblical truth. And somehow my life is reoriented. Like when you read, the, you know, an account of Jesus performing a miracle, well, wow, now that is, that's something to write home about. But here Jesus is saying something so simple to his disciples, but I'm telling you right now, you can. this is a litmus test for you on whether or not you are living a hurried life. So many people were coming and going. How is your life defined? Are the defining moments for you always the coming and goings? Is that what your life looks like? 
Just a series of coming and a series of going. And I'm, you know, just in and out and in and out and in and out. If it's nothing but coming and going and there's never a moment of just sitting, stopping, enjoying, then you are probably in danger of living a hurried life. It says that they didn't even have a chance to eat. You're probably living a hurried life if you have to live by fast food three, four, and five times a week because you're on the go all the time. Do you ever think to yourself, my gosh, what did people do 60 years ago, 50 years ago? I think to myself that way. How did, how did they have children? Well, they had farms and they grew their food. And they would sit around a table and they would eat it. If you read any books on, on social anthropology and things of that nature, they talk about one of the greatest deteriorations of Western society is the inability to sit around a dinner table and eat food together. Too busy to do it. In fact, we're so busy we don't even have time to eat. If you can't spend time with God by yourself. Jesus says, come, come away by yourselves with me. If you just cannot find time to do it, to engage with God in a meaningful way, there's a good chance that you're probably living a hurried life. Or the anxiety of somehow you know, spending time with God, is it just feels... Awkward almost. You know what it's like when you, when you, you know, you kind of get forced into a relationship with somebody. You know, you've got a, another friend that's coming over and, you know, th they leave for something and you're just kind of stuck there with the other person that you don't really know very well. And you're like, I don't really know you, but what should we talk about? Some of, for some of us, that's how we feel with God. You have a relationship with him, but you don't really have relationships. So the thought of being alone with him, to actually like read the scriptures and take a moment to pray, not only is it difficult to do because of time, it's difficult because relationally it feels strained. So what do we have to do to eliminate? What do we have to do to start growing again? We have to begin by eliminating hurry from our life. The fourth thing is you need to get some rest and you need to do it in a quiet place. Now, I watched the movie Everest last night. If you want to be encouraged, don't watch that movie. Um, however, you know, what, what you see as they're climbing this mountain is, this, is the amount of just solitude. They literally have like their little oxygen tanks on. No one can talk. You know, you're just plodding up the mountain, right? It's incredible and crazy and insane. But it got me thinking again about relationship with God that all of us need time where you're just away from the craziness of the world and you've, you don't have the TV on. And I work great with a lot of noise going on around me. I do well with it. 
I love going to a cafe and working at the cafe. Sometimes when I'm in our church office and I'm the only one there and I have to do message prep, I get really antsy because it's so quiet. But hear me. When it comes to your relationship with God, how are you going to hear from him if you can't stop hearing everything else? If I'm going to have a great relationship with Amy and I'm going to talk to her, well, guess what? At some point, I've got to get in an environment where I can actually hear what she's saying to me. That means I've got to quiet some things down. By the way, I'm not going to give you all the answers this morning. I originally tried, and then I felt God saying, why don't you do what you're actually preaching to everybody do? So I'm trying to rush through this and take your time. Take your time through it. Which means you're going to have to come back each week or listen to the podcast. When we first started the church, We were doing so much. Amy and I had a Bible study at our home. We started the church in our living room. Then it outgrew the living room and went to the neighborhood clubhouse. And when I say that our house was a constant revolving door with people, I mean, we're talking every day. Somebody, something, some family, some individual. I mean, there was, there was anything and everything there wasn't anybody developed yet. There wasn't really a whole lot of staff yet. We just, we were existing, we were trying to make it happen. And frankly, any church planner who says, yeah, I really know what I'm doing is a liar. <laughs> you don't really know what you're doing. And so you're just figuring it out, you know, as you go. And you're trusting God along the way, or you're trying to. And I was so busy. And many of you know our campus minister, Michael Phillips, you know, well, we love a little science fiction, and so we decided to go see The Hobbit together. And the Hobbit is like a Lord of the Rings movie, and so it was out several, several years ago. And so we go, and we go to this movie theater, and I was been going and going and going and going and going, and I got my popcorn and my Coke, and I sat down, and the lights went down, and it was quiet for a moment, and I actually found myself struggling with having a near panic attack in the movie theater. Because I hadn't stopped in so long. The pace of life was so crazy. And I found myself fighting tears, and I didn't even know what was happening to myself. And I left the movie theater, after the movie, of course, and afterwards, you know, Amy and I are talking, you know, it was a couple weeks later, and I'd come down, and I'm, I'm standing at the, you know, kitchen island, and she says, honey, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. And my body betrayed me because I literally had tears streaming down my eyes. And I literally didn't know what was happening. And then the lips started to quiver, and she just came over, and she hugged me, and I just was so stressed about the pace of life and the weight of ministry. Ministry that I wasn't designed to carry. I wasn't supposed to carry. Yet, I found myself unable to let go. I didn't know how. And I'll say this to you, a busy life, being busy hurts your relationships, but a hurried life hurts your soul. 
And that's where I found myself, where, where my life was so hurried that the place that was paying for it wasn't just relationships. Even though a relationship can only go so far when you find yourself busy all the time. But understand, it's okay to have seasons where you're busy. That's going to happen. You're going to have stretches at work and with your family where things are just plain busy and there's no way to avoid it. But there's a difference between having a busy life and a hurried life because a hurried life impacts your soul. A hurried life is, is your inability to just stop, your inability to trust God. You can't get away from your phone or the, the five seconds that you finally have to breathe, you've got to fill it with something else and you just can't get away and you just simply find your soul it's knotted up and that's what a hurried life does to us you don't just pay for it in your relationships you pay for it in your soul and I was paying for it reminded about Jesus' words. Come away. Hey, I notice you haven't even had time to eat yet. I notice there's lots of people coming and going. Why don't you come away with me? Why don't you come over here with me? Let's get some time, just you and me. Let me bring refreshment to your soul. Because doing more will never satisfy. Checking another thing off your list will never meet the need. Why don't you breathe easy with me? Why don't you give up on the way the world operates and start living the way I want to teach you to operate? St. Augustine says it really well. One of those saints that just dispenses wisdom when you read Meditations, the book that he wrote. He says, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. One of the reasons we go from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing and we fill every waking moment with an activity and with a thing because what we're ultimately searching for only Jesus can provide the reason we find ourselves so hurried is actually because distrust has rooted its way in there somehow and we're trying to find soul satisfaction in something other than being at rest and at peace with Jesus Christ and your soul will never find rest until it finds rest in Jesus. You'll just keep doing, and you'll keep going, and you'll continue to find your soul hurried. And then you'll take it out on the people around you, which is what I did. What's your hurry? I say nothing. 
there's anything that I want to rush to get to, is it not Jesus in his presence? Is it not his spirit? Is it not his words and his affirmation? The anchoring that he provides in my soul and my heart. Stand to your feet, church. We've got several more weeks in this series, and I know God is already ministering to the to our hearts this morning. But I want you to know as we progress into the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how you can practically do this. Because in a world that is assailing you to do the opposite, it's hard to figure out how to do it. But we're going to get there. Father, we thank you this morning that we can find rest in you. Father, I thank you that you said that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And that all who are weary should come to you and find rest for their soul, God. Lord, forgive us when we try to find rest in other things other than you and other than your presence, God. Forgive us, Lord. This morning, we just stop. We let our souls recalibrate today.